What up, though? Here in Detroit's infamous giant slide. After apparently they made some adjustments to fix the speed. Live from downtown Detroit, it's no BS news out with my main man, Tony. Well, it rained this week and there were no power outages to speak of. Somehow, this was news. The Belle Isle Giant Slide reopened this week after kids went flying. It was the same when I was a kid. But somehow, this was now news for three days. There's a new fusion restaurant that's opened in the Eastern Market. That one made national news. None of this, of course, is news. This stuff is ordinary. This is how things should be. The news is supposed to be what is extraordinary and exceptional. The minute the ordinary becomes extraordinary is the moment you put a fork in it. It's akin to writing about the beach conditions in Odessa, Ukraine. Hey, there's lots of bungalows available. It's high season. But that's how it is around here with the news. Somehow we got lost. Somewhere we've been convinced that the abnormal the graft and the sloth and the decrepitude should be ignored and those who dare point it out should be taken to the electronic woodshed. Hate is going to hate, as they say. But if the abnormal things are not exposed, how does the life of anyone improve? How will the ordinary expectations of ordinary life return to being ordinary? Last week, I wrote about runaway crime in Michigan and Metro Detroit specifically. So bad is it that Michigan is home to eight of the top 41 most violent cities in America. Eight of them. To my surprise, I was called everything from a racist to a peddler of misery. Why write that, you shout from your keyboards? What about all the good things? What about the giant slide? What about the queue line? It's free. And that's only because it was quietly bailed out with COVID dollars, in case you don't know. Why not write about the ordinary things you ask? Because I'm not the Chamber of Commerce. That's why. Where in America is it okay for police to let a dope den remain open where seven were shot, two fatally, on the front lawn? In an actual neighborhood where a six-year-old lives next door and an old woman keeps potted flowers on her porch? That's abnormal. So I wrote it. And Minister Malik Shabazz of the Black Panthers marched. And four years of this going on, four years later, the police finally emptied it out. And then the druggies went to the next door and the police emptied that one out and they'll move to another and the neighbors will once again light it on fire. That's not normal. But at least for now, a woman and her daughter who live next to the dope house sleep a little bit easier. And so that's worth writing about. A public school is located near that dope house where the seven were shot, too fatally, dead on the front lawn. Some kids on that very block attend the school. Surrounding the school are a half dozen abandoned, blighted, rotten houses with trees growing out of them. Kids could get snatched. Most of these houses are owned by the city's land bank authority. How does a child thrive in these conditions? That's worth writing about. Then there's the director of the nursing home, Joe LeBlanc, who blew the whistle on the fact that the state of Michigan is not monitoring COVID deaths in the elderly housing facilities. He's been let go. And he's now being threatened with arrest. We'll bring that to you later in the program. Nevertheless, the state is still not monitoring these facilities. That's not normal. Look around. People can't afford groceries or pencils for their school children, or their electric or water bills. People are forced to use both sides of the Charmin. So I'll keep writing, because that should not be normal in America. In the meantime, haters should find something to do, or at least find something to love besides the sound of your own voices. We'll be back after this. I don't know why I'm in the desert in my underpants. 
I don't know why these wolves are following me, but I need sausage. I look in my fridge. Oh my, what do I see? Sausage, a good wiener is hard to find. So make sure you treat it kind. Sausage. You may run with a pack, but everything ain't meant to be said. Sausage. Order a Coney kit directly to your door at AmericanConeyIsland.com. Hi, I'm David Hall from Hall Financial. The top rated realtors in Michigan have said that our five-star certified pre-approval is a game changer to the home buying process. Hall Financial's focus on speed and client service allows you to take on the housing market and win. When you're ready to purchase your new home, you need to make Hall Financial your first call. The mortgage company realtors trust and buyers love. 866-CALL-HALL or chat with us at callhallfirst.com. Yeah, these headphones and shit. Look at this. What What happened there? I don't know. They just went crazy. Okay. Hi, Karen. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Mark. Hi, Karen. Hey, good, hippie Jesus. It's good to see you in person. <laughs> it's good to see you. I miss yeah. you guys. Yeah, you so miss, you miss being you. down here, right? Yep. It's always fun to be in the penthouse. We've moved from the lower level. We to are now the in the penthouse. Yes. So thanks for you know coming out of your cave. COVID's <laughs> over. The CDC, it's not a cave, Charlie. <laughs> COVID's over. It, was, it wasn't what they told you. The right. CDC's now said it. So Okay. See what a chicken you were? I believed you, <laughs> not the CDC. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, let's just get right to it. My favorite communist, <laughs> Dr. Richard Wolff, <laughs> professor of economics uh, emeritus at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and co-founder of democracyatwork.info, one of the greatest minds in terms of money, world politics, Talking inflation. How you doing, Rick? Pretty well. I, I have to come down off the uh, high level you just put me on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, everybody is is scared. And I, look, you know, we, we had you out. Oh, geez, what was that? Like, it was almost like a year ago, wasn't it? That's right. And and it stuck with me when when I said to you, with, with all the fake money that's been had been printed over the last 20 years, where was inflation? And you said it was in the stock market. Right. And now it's it's come to pass. So let, let me just throw a few figures out, figure out what's going on with money. So we, we have this new microchip bill, right? So we're now going to subsidize corporations to manufacture microchips. That's $250 billion. The Inflation Reduction Act is another $740 Fifty million dollars. This is supposed to lower the budget deficit by a hundred billion dollars over ten years, but we're still spending. We now have the debt forgiveness, right? We're now going to bail out uh, graduate students. They're giving me a number about three hundred billion. I'm suspecting it's somewhere by my math around five hundred billion. In the last two years, we've increased the money supply by forty percent. We just created money. 40% of all the money out there was created in two years. So when you create money and people are going after the same products, all that happens is the price of the product. Is inflation, Richard, because government is printing too much money and just handing it out because we cannot live the way we think we can? No. Let me explain. Please. Part of the story is printing money, no question. You add a ton of money, especially in a short time, into any economy, and you're going to have to now watch where that money goes. If it goes into a general spending frenzy uh, and it takes time for goods and services to be produced, the sudden infusion of money will overwhelm what's available in the way of goods And if you have a market system, the way you handle that problem, the way you handle any situation in which the supply is short of the demand, the money demand for it, what happens is people bid. The people who have the money begin to bid because they can see not everyone's going to get enough. That's what the shortage means. 
So if you want to be the one who gets it when it's in short supply, you offer more money, which frightens the next man or woman on either side of you to do the same thing. And the prices get bid up, and that can go very fast, like it has, for example, in the last uh, 12 months that we're talking about. And so what ends up happening is the prices keep going up until, and this is crucial, the following happens. The people who can't afford to buy at these inflated prices drop away. Once that happens, the demand, that's what goes down because that's what it means when people can't afford to pay the high prices. And so then the inflation is supposed to stop because we have thrown to either side the poor people, the low or middle income people who can't pay the rising prices of homes, of automobiles, or even of the energy and the groceries at the end of the month. So if we allow markets, then money can lead to an inflation. But here's the way to answer and understand this. That doesn't necessarily happen. For example, if the government gives most of the money to banks and large corporations, which in the United States is a virtual given, that, that's the way it works, those institutions might decide that it's more profitable for them to go into the stock market and bid up the price of stocks. And we had that pretty much for most of the 10 or 15 years before uh, COVID hit us, the money was being printed and the money was going into the stock market. People were bidding against each other, driving the stock market to record highs we've never seen before. But that made rich people in America, because you remember uh, the top 10% of Americans own 85% of the shares. That top 10% was making out like bandits because the value of the shares they own was going up through the roof. They went so far, however, this is the beauty of it, it went so far that the prices of shares became so inflated that more and more sharp hustlers on the stock market said, this can't continue. You can't keep selling people $500 a share stocks when you know that the underlying company isn't worth but $25 a share. Eventually, people are going to panic when they realize this and get out of the stock market. And then, by the way, it can go down with the same rocket speed it went up. And to avoid being killed by that process, people start holding back. That began about a year, year and a half ago. Now the new money coming in wouldn't go into the stock market because it was a scary place to avoid. And so the question became, where then is the extra money going to go? And the answer has been into the energy sector, into the food sector, things that are not so quick and easy to increase in supply because the sharp people knew if all the money leaves the stock market in terms of growing the way it used to and goes into the world of real goods and services, they're going to be bid up. And I want to get in on that. And the shareholders then started buying land and other kinds of things that go up in a general inflation. I'm sorry to take this much time, but like it's it. not the money by itself that causes the inflation. It's a question of who gets the money, what they think is profitable. And the real question for Americans is, why should a majority of the people who are not involved in any of these decisions be left having to live with the inflation now the recession that they're going to have to, to deal with the inflation, we're all spectators being screwed as the people in charge move around the bits and pieces on the chessboard, sorry for mixing my metaphors, uh, to arrange what's profitable for them. That's the real question Americans should be asking themselves. And don't you think with this Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't, right? And let me throw this number. Absolutely in too. doesn't. That's it right. absolutely does not. 
But what it does do is it subsidizes, amongst other things, like the car companies, right? You can, you can send the Mach-E down to Mexico or the Equinox, right? They'll get the credits. The cars can't sell at market rate, so the government's going to subsidize by 7500 bucks. The average electric vehicles cost about $66,000. Nobody can afford that but the more well-to-do. And we're basically subsidizing the rich again, are we not? Yep. But people should stop being surprised by this. I mean, what the first time it happens, yeah. The fifth time it happens, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe the tenth time, yeah. We're not all quick. We're, some of us are slower. But after 500 times, if you don't see the pattern that is screaming <clears throat> at you, then it's because you don't want to. There's something in you that doesn't want to see, that shies away from having to face what is obviously going on. Maybe it's because people don't want to think they've been taken for a very long ride. But that kind of that's kind of a doom and gloom message for the average American. It's almost like we're screwed. What are we supposed to do if we're not part of the one percent? Then it right. kind of feels like we're either helpless or our hands are tied. Well, my. Well, well, let me say, Professor, because I studied economics, too. You're not the only one with an advanced <laughs> degree. And by the way, I, I paid my loans. I worked my ass off. I did. I paid mine, man. Are you a doctor, Charlie? Oh, love. Oh. I got a PhD in LUV. They call me the doctor of love. Detroit doctor love. Okay, get back to the economic part. You forgot. There's too much slack. There's, there's too much money awash in the system. And so... Yeah, I think they should, they should raise taxes. When you raise taxes, of course, the company's going to pass it on to the people. The people are going to stop buying the goods. The government's going to take money out of the system by collecting taxes. It, it'll be less affordable, and we're just going to have to go through that. We're, gonna, we're just going to have to face the music. But I, I now see the Democrats, they, they, are, they are like Republicans to me. You're really helping the elite. You can't... But that's how this country is structured, though, Charlie. I mean, people with no money actually make money for people with money. They either work for them, they either buy their goods and services. This country rests on the backs of people who can't afford it. Am I right? And you know, it, it, Increasingly, is, so, yes. it is so obvious that, you know, it, for those of us that study this, after a while, you know, we don't want to be the, the messengers of gloom and doom. I don't get any joy out of doing that. I'd much rather be telling people something that'll make them smile and that'll make them appreciate what they're hearing. I often preface what I have to say by saying, look, please don't get angry at the messenger. I didn't cause what I'm telling you about, but I'm not going to lie to you about, uh, about what it is. Listen, the mantra from Washington, especially from the Republicans, but plenty of Democrats do it too. If you give money directly to the mass of people, for example, uh, giving a little extra during the pandemic to people who were unemployed, whoa, what a terrible thing to do. And we hear all the time, gee, that's a disincentive for them to go back and look at, uh, for work. Gee, we shouldn't be doing that. Gee, all these questions are raised. And then I'm scratching my head in December of 2017. The Trump administration gave corporations and the rich the biggest tax cut in American history. And when did it come? Wait, time At out, time out, time out, Richard. It was the biggest tax cut in American history. And before Trump gave that, when was the biggest tax cut in American history? The biggest one? Yeah. Probably under Kennedy. What about Bush? He, we had two uh, tax Bush cuts. Also. In, we had a tax cut yep. under Obama. Obama right. ran trillion dollar. Obama ran trillion dollar deficits. Bush ran five hundred billion dollar deficits. Trump ran trillion dollar deficits. Uh, Biden runs trillion dollar deficits. This isn't two years in the making. This this is this is decades right. in the making. Is this correct? They're Absolutely all to blame. Correct. They're all to blame. But I want you to remember that when the tax cut was given out, for example, the one in twenty seventeen, the the biggest one pretty much to date. When that was given out, no Republican, not one, raised his or her finger to say, wait a minute, we don't want to be giving money to, to companies that don't deserve it. 
who've been making record profits and who obviously don't need it. We should be. But I hear that when you when you want to give a, a, a break to students repaying their loans or you want to wonder about helping people on unemployment during the worst public health disaster the country's history, suddenly we've got the penny counters who want to be sure not to help people who don't deserve it. But, you know, if you're going to do that on one kind of spending, how is it you don't do it on the other kind of spending? And the answer is that these money creations and these tax cuts have stopped having anything to do with some kind of general plan for how to make the economy work better. Everybody talks like that, but everybody in Washington knows you're buying votes. You're buying them with tax cuts. You're buying them with uh, helping unemployed (laughs) people. The biggest political games are being played. And uh, the reason that's the reality to answer Karen's question, the reason you do doom and gloom is because in order to make logical and rational decisions, you need the true information. That's one of the predicates of a free market. It assumes that we all have access to but information. A, but, yeah, but that's an incorrect assumption. But the, the reality is, is that. But wait a minute. Richard made his whole career with that assumption. So no, 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 Charlie. I. I, I hate to disagree with you, but I do not assume that mute him that we have that, that we have that we have the information. You're right. If we had that's access true. to genuine, then we're in a. Di- but that's not the world we live in. Right. We that's don't true. live in that world. The market in our world. We, we have the information that is either what the company wants us to think about what's going on, or what some editor at some media enterprise wants He's singing to your know. song, Charlie. That's it. That's me, it. That's me, right. me, and see, I'm a, I'm a free market capitalist, right? I Not laissez faire. And Richard's a socialist, and we agree right. on the what the problem is and what caused it. We can totally agree in this country on what's actually true. It's what's true, and that, and that's and that's a factual presentation. And that's not left right. to interpretation. And when you have facts, then you can walk away in a, in a space of agreement. Yeah. But that doesn't always happen. See, we can go like, you know, the, the, the big yelling nuts. It's, it's class warfare, right? The limousine liberals and the working class conservatives. Why should I have to subsidize somebody in grad school who once you go to 56% of all the debt is held mm-hmm. by people who went to grad school? And everybody knows that... On average, somebody that went to grad school makes earns twice as much on average than somebody with an associate's degree Mm. or less. So then the question becomes, Richard, here's Washington. Before they came out with, let's just spend this. Why didn't they introduce some kind of means testing for, you know, people Mm. that are really at the bottom of the scale that this is pulling down? I don't understand. Is it to buy votes? Well, as best I can tell, that's the only answer that I can come up with. Look at that. They've got a tough, they got a tough election coming. They need to spread good cheer and goodwill. Every, every administration I've watched, and I've been around a long time, does this. The only difference is there used to be some sense that you had to limit that kind of handout politics in order to deal with the real problems. I think, and I know this is controversial, But the best I can tell, talking to my students and my colleagues, many of whom work in the highest levels of the United States government, they've given up on that. They either admit that they don't know how to do it, which is honest, or that it's no longer what Washington is about. Washington is about a struggle between two major parties, each of which has got its donor base, its voter base. And they're trying to do everything they can to be in office rather than out of it. But they take a philosophic view. Sometimes we'll lose. The other guys will be cleverer about building their donors and their base than we will be. But it's a very cozy arrangement. We'll miss it for a few years. Then we'll get it and they'll miss it for a few years. And if in the meantime, the economy as a whole goes into the toilet, well, that's not us. That we'll blame. I don't know the Chinese for that or somebody else. So nothing ever changes. Well, no, I would disagree with you a little bit. I, I understand mute the him. Feeling doom and gloom. <laughs> I, 
I understand feeling doom and gloom, and you're right. That, that I don't want to be in that position. But I, I don't feel that that's where I leave things. If I just talked about what was wrong, it would be. But I do really think that we are now at a point, we've tried to fix this old capitalist engine a thousand times. We've done it for 200 years. This reform, that reform, Republicans do this, Democrats do that. It doesn't work. We now have an economic system that's like that old, old, old refrigerator. Finally, the refrigerator man, uh, repair person comes to your home and says to you, look, yeah, I can do it again. I can fix it. But you'll have me back here in three weeks. It'll be another $285. I just, the time has come. I just, my wife just got her brakes done. 900 bucks. Well, we just got our refrigerator fixed. It was $500. So, yeah. But this is what I want to ask you, Dr. Wolf. What, wait, wait, wait. You know what? what? My dog was barking. He got loose. He was wandering around mm -hmm. the neighborhood. Somebody brought him back after midnight. We're asleep. He's barking. I got a $100 barking ticket. Well, that's because you live in the suburbs. Um, but You're just jealous. <laughs> yeah. I, just I, jealous. Sometimes I, I am. I manage my money right. And so do I. I get an ambulance when I call. I don't call an ambulance because I stay well. <laughs> but Dr. Wolf, Dr. Wolf, let me ask you this. What power lies in the hands of the average American to... To, to, to do something, not to manipulate the system, but to, to, to leverage any economic capital or, or power that they may have to shift things to their advantage? Or, or does that even exist? It does exist, but it requires Americans to do something which Americans often have a hard time doing. We are not the Lone Ranger. You're not going to solve this problem by yourself. I know that's hard. I know you want to believe you can control the world around you. An awful lot of us come to a lot of grief trying that, but you can't. What you can do is work together with others. And the minute you recognize that, all kinds of power comes into your hand. Let me give you a couple of examples from right now. We have record numbers of people. We've never seen this before in American history quitting their jobs, not being fired, walking away from a job. And I know the newspapers are full of, well, you can go get another better job. Everybody knows maybe you can, but maybe you can't. And most of the time, Americans are very careful not to leave a job because something you have is a lot better to rely upon than something you may be able to find. But not now. Millions and mil tens of millions of Americans have been walking away from jobs. You know why? Because the jobs are no good. The pay is not adequate. The benefits have been cut back. The security is gone. Yes, you don't yes, even yes. know from one week to another when you're working or how hard you're working. Dr. Richard Wolf, uh, you know, professor emeritus at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, who we're talking to, great mind, great economist. Karen and I actually know some stuff. We, we know that the labor participation rate, those who actually are uh, working, who can work, is down about a percentage point. That's about 4 million people that left. And when we were looking at the data, what, what age groups, Karen? It was the 20 to 30-year-olds and the 50 to 65-year-olds. That's who left. That's, those are the ones that are not working. So the 20 to 30-year-olds, that's the you know, millennials. Like, this job's shit, Right. It's not even worth my time. I like I'll get another job. Well, or they can do something else, Charlie. Right. That's the thing, you know. I mean, technology, and I think the pandemic proved that our our work method was outdated. You don't have to come into an office. There are things that you can do differently, and and I think the millennials or the younger people understand that that we don't they don't have to duplicate what has already been proven to fail. Or they might be or going back to school and racking up debt. More debt. They could right? be doing that too. The, 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 the 50, 55, 60, 65, they just realize this. Hey, it's a grind. This is shit. It's not even worth it anymore. I got enough. Yep. I'd rather just live life. So I think, I think you're right, Richard. It's just uh, we got jobs and everybody's like, well, what jobs? What's that job paying? But what kind of life is that though, Charlie? That's the thing. You go to school, you rack up debt, you get a job to pay off the debt. And by the time you do that, it's time to retire, and you don't have enough money to live. So where, is, where does life fit in, in in that equation? Professor, where does life fit in? Well, that's what I was getting to in answering her good question, and that is 
You've got to reorganize the system. You've got to get a new refrigerator, not keep patching up the old one because it's come to the kind of end of the line. And by that, let me tell you really clear what I mean. Basic change, the thing that scares so many people. You don't, just like it scares you to think about buying a new refrigerator. But what the repair person tells you is you're going to do better in the long run with that new refrigerator than throwing good money after bad, fixing a busted one. That's what we're doing. We need to realize that there are basic changes that could be made in this economy and it would work a whole lot better. And the first one and the one that I, you know, I, I run around the country preaching about literally almost like a like a preacher is this. If you want the economy to work for the people, you got to put the people in charge. We don't do that. In our economy, we have a tiny group of people, the owner of the business, the board of directors. Here of the comes that socialist bit. Here <laughs> we come. That's right. For Bernie Sanders. I, wouldn't be a so I wouldn't be a socialist if I didn't think they had a better solution than the people well, who keep patching this busted capitalism. That's the thing about communism. I, I say it to my BLM friends and all that. I go, you know what? Marx and Engel did a, a brilliant, the, the most brilliant job of identifying the problems, the inherent problems in capitalism. The problem is their solutions were shit. You know what I'm saying? So I know what we have to, I know what we have to do, Richard. We have to go back to what we were doing. You know what I mean? Before the repeal Glass-Steagall, before NAFTA, before normalization of trade with China. Mm -hmm. China's on the ropes itself, but we're not going back. So I think what you're going to have is... A, a cataclysm of some sort before we wise up and, and get ourselves together. Now, before things change, before we have a change, what should you do right now? Transition. R right now. Here's what you should do right now. <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> Remember that overreaction is not a strategy for the long-term. And turn that down a little bit, man. For the long-term investor, neither is burying your head in the sand and hoping it all turns out for the best. Richard will tell you that. What you should do is call my friend Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748 for rational financial advice. Inflation, interest rates, what's your move? Are you a gambler? Are you chasing? Are you trying to retire? Stocks, bonds, heavy metals, precious metals, college savings plans. Is your company in the right investments? Is your pension fund meeting its projected return? Get advice and get a strategy. Call Luke Nowacki, 248-663-4748. Wall is the one. Didn't we say that a long time ago, Charlie, when we said that there was going to be a shift in the market and we tried to encourage people, regardless of how much money they made or how much money they didn't have, get an economic strategy. I mean, you know, people tend to think that if they don't make a lot of money, that they don't have the right or the responsibility to do something with their money. Well, but they do. And where else do you find money? I'm going to tell you where, where else where, you where find else, some Charlie? money. Like. You watch TV and you're bombarded with insurance ads promising to save you money. But if you really want to save money, your money, you know what? You cut costs. And that's why you call Legacy Partners Insurance. I've been telling you about how they can help you with Medicaid, Med I mean, Medicare, right? Find you the lowest prescriptions, find the best plan for you at no cost to you. And now I'm telling you, they can save you money on all your insurance needs, your home, your car, your boat, your RV, your motorcycle, if you're lucky enough to have all these things. They're independent. So they shop between seven to 10 carriers for your insurance to find the best deal. And when you get their quote, you'll be mad at your current insurance carrier. I'm doing this after Labor Day, by the way. Doing what? I am uh, getting together with Legacy Partners. It's a good move. Because I get, yeah, Mark did it. I, oh, that's the insurance. Yeah, yeah, you should. I mean, you yeah. live in a city, you're way overpaid. They, yeah. shop, they shop for you. I, I am. Insurance so, sucks. Listen now, 586 209 4106. 586. 209-4106, and tell them I sent you. And uh, just for getting a quote and tell them I sent you, you'll be put in a drawing for a $50 gift card, which will get you an oil change. <laughs> so go to Legacy Maybe. Partners and tell no. them you heard it here. 586-209-4106. And finally... You won't get me an oil change. Uh, what? No, no. Are you still using <laughs> premium? I don't have a choice. Hey, Richard, are, are, do you project uh, oil prices to skyrocket in the fall? The way it looks now, Yes. Oh, wow. Now, this is, I, I got one more uh, underwriter I'd like to get to, so don't let me get off here. But what the main driver of inflation is, is, is gas, 
right? Everything moves by gasoline and diesel, right? That's your main input. Oil has fallen to $90 a barrel, and yet inflation hasn't moved. If Richard's prognostication is correct, I, I don't see I don't see a respite from inflation, Richard. No, I don't either. Oh, shit. I don't think anybody does. I think what you're hearing uh, now is what you heard a, a year ago. A year ago, the predictions were, well, we probably won't have one, but if we do, it won't be very serious and it won't last a long time. That turned out to be wrong on every point. And to take the same people's pr pronouncements now, telling you what's going to happen three, six, 12 months from now, I mean, makes, it didn't make much sense a year ago, but after the performance we've seen, let me remind you, the job of the Federal Reserve in its charter, which is now over 100 years old, is number one, price stability. Well, we don't have price stability. We have an inflation. They didn't do their job mm -hmm. and they didn't do it very well. And to now take them all terribly seriously as they tell us the steps of raising interest rates that are going to solve the problem, believing these people, even if they mean well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not questioning their motives, but they are riding an animal that isn't ridden. Capitalism has its own logic, its own contradictions, its own problems. And they're just tinkering around at the edges, yep. keeping this old refrigerator going. And the shit about the government is they don't get done what they're even supposed to do. Like the CDC saying, we didn't even track the data, right? Transition. Here's the transition. <laughs> this is for the government this time around. ADR, right? Get it done. Like, get the cost reduced, right? Make it on budget. Save we the people, the clients, money. They're experts in procure procurement and government compliance and information technology and everything else. Everything else. Like, you don't have an HVAC on the nursing home that, that will filter it? They, they get it done. They know how to do it. They were running the demolition in this state when it was being run right. And since they didn't want it to be run right, they're not running the demolition. But they've overseen more than a quarter billion dollars in private and public construction projects since 2001. We got this ridiculous skyscraper and that report out, right? That, that right through the ass, right through the ass, because you don't call Barry Ellentuck at ADR, Honest Ethical, Smart, 248-318-9424 for a consultation, get the job done. Right on time, on budget, ADR Consultants, 248-318-9424. I am transitioning down to the seat. Follow me, Joe. Here we go. Thank you. I feel oh. like I'm back in school. I, I like listening to Dr. Wolf. Okay, Dr. Wolf, li li listen, listen to this, okay? Karen, listen to this, and all you out there, listen to this. There's a white-collar guy at Ford, whom I know, who spent the better part of the last year teaching his eventual replacement in India how to do his job. And now the hammer's fallen, and the white-collar guy's last day is next month. One of the 3,000 salaried workers who's been tossed to the curb, the company forced him to sign a non-disclosure agreement in exchange to keep his severance, so I won't mention his name. Now, the name I will mention is Ford CEO Jim Farley, who made a cool $23 million in compensation last year. He's made it clear this is only the beginning. Another 5,000 white-collar jobs are on the chopping block. As Farley makes his big bet on the electric future, most of those job cuts will be here in Michigan. I used to love Ford. If you grew up here, chances are you spent some time in an auto plant or a machine shop or a parts supplier. And the big three paid its taxes, which gave us good schools, which prepared us for college, which gave us good jobs, which allowed us to pay back our student loans. Others, family members of mine, good friends, you out there, you went directly to the factory and made a good middle-class life. That's over. So I don't love Ford anymore because Ford doesn't love us. Maximum shareholder profit is now the immutable law, and much of that profit comes in the heaping form of corporate venality and broken promises. As one example, Richard, Ford received more than $100 million this year from the state of Michigan with the promise of upgrading its electric footprint here and creating 3,000 jobs, and then Ford pivots and lays off 3,000 people. 
a year ago, the company announced a major expansion of its engineering and technology hub in India that already employs 11,000 people. And now with my friend, you can make that 11,001. For its part, GM was awarded $1 billion in cash and subsidies this year by the state of Michigan in exchange for an investment of $7 billion in Michigan and the creation of 4,000 jobs. But then you read the fine print. It's only an investment of $3 billion and a creation of 3,200 jobs. And those jobs only have to be around for six months. Remember the $400 million public giveaway to Chrysler Fiat to upgrade the Mack Avenue assembly complex on the east side of Detroit? They promised 5,000 new jobs. Not one of those jobs has appeared either. We rescued the big three and now they leave us to drown. Since 2008, GM and Ford put together have received, wait for it, $100 billion in breaks, grants, subsidies, and bailout. $100 billion. So now Ford's electric Mustang is built in Mexico, as will be GM's forthcoming Equinox and Blazer electric vehicles. Mexico, Mexico now has more auto industry workers than the United States, and yet Mexicans continue to pour over the border, and why wouldn't they when the big three pays them three bucks an hour? Meanwhile, back here in America, the average cost of that electric vehicle is $66,000. Who can afford that? The well-to-do, that's who. Their trendy vehicles built in Mexico will now be subsidized by the federal government to the tune of $7,500 thanks to Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. Unsurprisingly, Ford and GM announced plans to raise the price of their EVs by about... Um, you guessed it, 7,500 bucks. Auto execs claim the price hikes are due to inflation. Tell that to the average single working mom in Michigan who makes 26 bucks an hour. An oil change now costs her two hours wages before tax and she's among the poorest working women in America. In Detroit, Dan Gilbert, the billionaire, gets a $60 million tax break for his failing skyscraper. Chris Illich, the billionaire, got a billion-dollar hockey arena paid in large part with public dollars, and yet he shares no revenue with the poorest big city in America. GM CEO Mary Barra got paid $29 million last year and leaves the Renaissance Center empty. In the past two decades, household income in Michigan has dropped almost 10% adjusted for inflation. And we've lost about 40% of our factory jobs. Who loves the big banks or the big three or their yapping poodles in politics and the media? They've turned first world people into secondhand shoppers. Those in the executive suites should open their windows and listen to the rumblings in the streets or at least pay someone on your security team to do it. As for me, the next car I'm going to buy is a Ford. That's right. I'm going to buy me a car I can afford. <laughs> but Charlie, when you hear stuff like that, I mean, it, it, it almost has to make you feel like, Jesus, what, in, what kind of world do we live in? I mean, really? I mean, nobody cares about, you know, the, Dr. Wolf said one thing, that things will only change when we work together. When people start to understand that there's a common good to be gained for everybody. And not just individual gain. But until then, this is this is where we are. You still with this, Doc? Yes, I am. Uh, government subsidies of big corporations, do they work? Do they create jobs? Do they pay for themselves? Very rarely. They are they are simply parts of a process of moving the wealth out of the hands of the mass of the people, low and the middle, into those at the top. Everything we are doing for the last 30 to 40 years works that way, whether it's moving the jobs overseas because you can pay workers way less there or to escape environmental limits that we have in this country, but that they don't have in one or another of these other countries. The subsidies are part of that. The tax cuts are part of that. You know, when a big bill is announced, if you look at it, it has four, five, six hundred pages. Mm -hmm. Not at all unusual. 
Most of those pages are de- are covering little deals. This one was made to get these two congressmen and women to sign on. This one was made to get that senator to add his or her name to it. Most of the bill isn't about what the bill is called, like inflation reduction. It's actually about all kinds it's Orwellian. Of what we used to call pork. You know, to make fun of it. In that we inflation, don't call it in the, pork anymore. But in it's the, the reality. In the Inflation Reduction Act, they were going to cl- close the loophole for hedge fund managers. You know, they, mm-hmm. they manage like billion, multi billion dollar right. portfolios. And it's, um, <coughs> a, a, let me see if I can put it simply to people. Basically, when you earn money, you sweat, right? You get taxed on that at a higher rate than what you make on your investments, your mm-hmm. gravy, right? So hedge funds managers don't take income. They don't take a check. They take a piece of future earnings. And so therefore, it's more investment money. That's how they do it. And that tax rate is, what is it? The, the federal tax rate for a normal person, about 15. Roughly, roughly, it's 20%. Whereas if they took it as income, they would have to pay almost 40%. So, it's so a real, we, it's the people who are laboring, are paying 40% of our mm-hmm. income to taxes. And these fucking guys that the doctor's talking about, you're taking cheap money from the government, blowing it into the stock market. Well, look at Jeff Bezos. And then you're paying 15%. <laughs> I mean, what about, I mean, when you talk, you, you reference some people here locally. But you think about Jeff Bezos. I mean, he's one of the richest, if not in the world. I mean, the kind of money that he makes is crazy. And these are the loopholes that make him rich. And these are the richer. loopholes that continue. And, and who's making him rich? Those of us who can continue to order off of Amazon. So I am for 80,000 more um, IRS agents if they were actually, in fact, going after the money. I'm not really I'm anticipating couple people I know is door being knocked on just because that's the way it goes now. But you know what? It's so much process, Charlie. Nobody knows what's going on. I mean, they just don't. Do you want to know just... Do you want to know where the most audited county in America is? Let me guess. Go ahead. It's Mississippi. Mm-hmm. It's a majority African American county, and what the IRS was looking for was the uh child tax credit. How you know, basically mm-hmm. we're going to give you a subsidy because your work you have to show your work. But that's the thing. Everybody picks and then, on, and that's the most. That's yeah. the most. And, and and I don't like to use the word poor. I just don't I, like I know, that I word. But that's those are those are the people that are picked on. They are. All right, doctor. Here's what look, we're going to do. Look, the whole system. When an inflation goes up, let's be honest. That's hardest on the people with the least amount of money. Mm-hmm. Whether you call them poor or call them anything else, an inflation is not an equal difficulty for everybody. The less money you have, the more the inflation hurts. Are you from from New York? Are you from New York, Richard? Are you from New York? I was born in Youngstown, Ohio. Where'd you get that accent? It's not Youngstown. (laughs) Well, if you live live in the New York area, you pick it up. You do. I was born in the Midwest, and I lived the first five years of my life in... uh, Ohio, Missouri, and Colorado. Let me tell you what they say in New York. You want to know what they say about New York? What? About, about wealth and all this. Basically, basically, it's this. The more bread you got, uh, uh, life's like a shit sandwich. Right? The more bread you got, the less shit you taste. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's true. All right, Dr. Here, uh, Dr. Richard Wolf. listen, we're, we're going to have to get to the local <laughs> news. Do you want to just hang and listen to what's going on around here, or do you got to go? Uh, I got a little bit more time. I'll hang with you. Okay. Okay, you sit there. Okay, so in the news, give me give me this uh, real quick. We're, we're going to blast through the local news, okay? Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, that's breaking news. Okay. Then. It's always breaking. All right. All right, like, okay, so number one, the Democratic treasurer of the state party, Tracy Cornack, called the county sheriff on me for going to her house. <laughs> she felt... Threatened. Intimidated and threatened. Oh, intimidated. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm knocking on her door and the deputy said- How dare you? Deputy said, why don't, why don't you just call first? I said, I, I called multiple times. I think that's actually how you got my, my phone number, but you know, I am willing to appear in court on some kind, if you want to issue an order. That, that's no intimidation. I didn't, I didn't intimidate. I, I'm not the one uh, who's being accused of trying to bilk a brain damaged old woman and, and an insurance company. I'm not the one. I- I finally got a hold of the Democrats. And you want to know what the spokesman for the state party said? What did they say? Uh, well, I, I don't know why you're looking for a statement. The treasurer really has little to do with the day-to-day of the party. 
I'm like, he's the fucking treasurer. So I'm still waiting for the statement right now. Nursing home, Joe, you know, the, the one accusing her and the one that right. put out the documents right. and made the authorities aware of this. Um, he received, you know, the nursing home where he worked, mm -hmm. changed hands, and they canned him a, a month prior to when he was going to leave. Right. And then he got a certified letter in the mail this week, which reads... As a result of your recent behavior and inappropriate conduct for, for blowing the whistle. What, was, I, what is he too? What are I, they right? talking about? This letter's divides you that you are no longer permitted on the premises. This notice applies to the entire campus, including the residents, all common spaces, walkways. Is it my, my, my mic on here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's on. My, my earphones. Uh, walkways, driveways, and parking lot areas. Should you be seen anywhere on the campus premises, or in or around the building, you will be considered a trespasser and the local police department will be called. This may result in your arrest. Be guided accordingly. So, so me and Joe trying to do the right thing here. You know what I mean? Trying to point out the obvious, like the government screwed up the COVID response, right? Not keeping track of people. That doesn't that make any sense. There's a vulnerable Charlie. woman and, and you're trying the old school of putting, putting the police on us. That's old school. Put the police on us and we'll film it. That's the new school. Mm -hmm. But how, how can you What I do? I don't care. Door. You, you, you want to give me 10 days, 30 days in the county can? When you're letting uh, 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 accused murderers out on a tether? You're leaving crack houses open? Really? Shut the fuck up. That's what I say. So do they call the police on, uh, on, does she call the police on the Jehovah Witnesses that may knock on her door? I mean, what the is- Girl what is, Scouts, The Girl Scouts. The police, the postman. What's illegal about knocking there on somebody's door? There is nothing. There's nothing. It's not going to work. Now I expect Madam Nessel, Attorney General Dana Nessel, who's yapping off on Twitter, hey, I, uh, my opponent and some other friends of his, the Republicans, are trying to conspire to- Flipped this election. She referred them to the Attorney Grievance Commission, right? And she wants to know why it's taken over 500 days to even hear anything. Well, madam, I haven't heard anything from you on this. <laughs> what, what, what clown? Oh, Bob, that's because the Democratic treasurer, the one accused in this thing at the nursing home, was on Nestle's transition team. Mm -hmm. You, it's exactly like what Richard's talking about. Yep, that you only are told what they want you to know. That's what he said. Okay, here's the next one, Karen. Studies are out about okay. the skyscraper. And they show, you know, they were basically uh Are we talking studies. about the one over here? Yeah, the Dan Gilbert skyscraper. Okay, around the corner from the penthouse. From the penthouse. Okay, that we can't see because we're higher than what... Okay, I got yes. it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you know, that plus three other properties got some, you know, some sweeteners, mm -hmm. some 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 cash, some prizes, over $700 million of this guy, right? Okay. Well, we were right about everything. It was never going to be that tall, just like I said. It wasn't 900. It wasn't 800. It's not even going to be 700. They never had blueprints finalized. Mm -hmm. That cost them $100 million because they had to keep bringing architects in. Uh, they, they haven't bought the steel. They never had the financing. It was considered mm -hmm. too risky. Too speculative. So, no one's ever heard of uh, subsidies of this magnitude. We, mm -hmm. we got ripped off. Mm -hmm. We told you. Duh. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, now, like, you know, I get a rap in the media. You know, you know, because you're a little more sophisticated than me. But we are partners. And you know what we've been doing for the last couple of years. And we just had to go first. This shit's true. That's true, Charlie. But the thing about it is, is that... It, and, and, you you put the information out, people hear it, they agree with it, they seem to be bothered by it, but no response to it. Meaning it doesn't what does it it doesn't change anything. And I think that's a frustrating thing that everybody experiences. It's like if I'm telling you it's raining and you still aren't putting up an umbrella, do you like being wet? I mean, hmm. it's like what what's wrong? Like why won't anybody say anything? Stand up. You know, what happened to the days when people would right march outside and say, hey, no, we, we're not going to just let you do this to us. People complain about it. They get on social media and say, oh, this is great, blah, blah, blah. But then what? Absolutely nothing. Hey, what's, what's, what's the deal with the press? Everybody in the country knows there's a problem. Like, why no tough questions? It's like access for empty answers. Like, for instance, we have to go back 
to COVID, the nursing homes, the fact that this administration, Gretchen Whitmer and her health department, did not keep track of old people and kept saying, we're following the CDC. That's the gold standard. And what do we get this week? Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who you know is the director mm -hmm. of the CDC, said, I'm sorry, we got it wrong. Our data collection, the way we spoke to people, the way that we uh, laid it out, you, you couldn't understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, social distancing. Remember, we talked about that. Yes. We said nobody knows what to do. Nobody, they're, they're sending mixed messages and everybody was left to figure it out on their and own. Yet everybody was fighting with everybody each other. Everybody was guessing, yeah. Right? You, yeah. Couldn't, you couldn't even let a rational thinking being say, hey, this data is a mess. Or these, these mask mandates, you're not letting the other voices in science in on that when at the beginning- Or common sense. We were told the dental masks you know, were too porous, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they weren't- But that took two years, Charlie. The school closings, they, you know, it wasn't science. They were talking to school unions, right? Or uh, the, the vaccine efficacy or the dangers that they posed. When they now admit it. The CDC's inability to detect COVID's presence early- and its failures to deliver a workable containment strategy. And the only thing they ever asked for was specific government, federal government funded nursing homes and not all the nursing homes. And then this governor's hiding behind it and Cuomo's lying. It was, COVID is not bullshit. We know that. But this response was a fucking mess, just like our economy, just like, just like this electric grid idea that doesn't exist. In California, I, I saw the headline today. I think they're eliminating gas-powered vehicles, so they're all, their yeah. their whole thing is going to be electric. Yeah, by twenty thirty-five. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I but mean, still, I mean, just the very thought. You well, know? California has one of the re least reliable. We all know this every yeah. fall mm -hmm. when it catches on fire. The way, yeah. right? Least reliable grids. Where's the money for the grid? Michigan has one of the worst grids in the northern hemisphere. Where are we going to plug in? When, it, when the wind blows. Where are we going to get the extra capacity? That's true. What, what Biden says, I'm, in this uh, Inflation Reduction Act, there's $5 billion for charging stations. That's not even a strategy. That's just, five, where, where's, the, where's the blueprints? But I think too, Charlie, I mean, everybody, including the president and the governor and the mayor, everybody just says stuff, you know, I mean, that, that people grasp onto. But when you have administrations that are able to control the narrative, then ultimately they can control the outcome. People don't question it. People don't challenge it because they only know, as Dr. Wolf said, and as we say all the time, they only know what they're being told. They don't ask. They don't question. They don't wonder. Yep. They just take it and, and keep complaining and keep going on. So in the meantime, we're at each other's throats. The ghetto yep. tears up Chicago. The trailer park tears up the Capitol. And they don't even realize they... Park. You know, well, yeah, I'm just trying, to, I'm trying to put it in. I know, so, but, but it is. And, and, and they don't even realize, like, their anger is the same thing. There's nothing left here. And they, too, are being manipulated. They, they are. And yep. we're here to just to, to be your friend. And finally, um, you know, we've been working on that documentary for a couple of years about children mm -hmm. and gun violence. And all of a sudden, it's back again. Uh, it's done. It's quite good. And you good. remember our friend Jordan. Yep. How was, how was he doing? He's doing really well. He's, he's in college. Okay. Yeah, out in Denver. He's, yeah, I know he you know, left. He's working for a nonprofit now. Okay, you good. know, Yeah. Good. So good for him. And so here's a, uh, this thing's going to premiere in October. And I just figured we take a little look at it. And, Let's see. And see what we got. All right. It's called Kiss this the Babies. This city lost 244,000 people in 10 years. It left behind a city with the highest unemployment rate in the United States. It left behind the highest poverty rate, the highest murder rate. Washington, D.C. and Boston have populations almost the same size as ours. Okay, every city in America does not live with this violence. Why are so many kids getting shot? It's really fear, and I always tell guys, fear and anger equal rage. Fear and anger equal rage. I grew up in the same environment. That's Ira Todd, the I chief interrogator for the Detroit police. Because there's a lot of violence already. Yes. What's the rage? The rage, What's the the rage comes from the anger. Yeah, a lot of times you walk around and you see a guy, all of a sudden, he go bad. It's not just the fear that made him go bad, it's the anger. He's angry, guess what, he can't get a job. You know, he's angry because you look over here and somebody's doing really well and they're getting all the benefits. Isn't that something like the heavy violence, the heavy murder, the drugs, that rage, all coincides with the leaving of these factories. Absolutely. In Detroit, is, is you know, it, it, we, we kind of just went through 
a down spiral where we didn't have much recreation, you know, even for the youth or, or even, even for adults, you know what I mean? Um, no jobs, uh, no opportunities. So it, it was just, you know, people relying on themselves. What, what, what can I do to provide for me and mine? So naturally, I want to meet somebody that hasn't been shot, that's trying to get through it, do the right things. Meet Jordan Ruffin L. At the time, 16, moves out of his mother's house because she can't afford him. He moves in with another teenager on the other side of town. He takes two buses to school and from school, all by himself, getting through. What he says to me, this guy, this very young guy, this very talented guy, is there are flowers capable of growing in any corner in this country. They just need to be nurtured and they need to be watered. He's got everything we want in a young man. A lot of people within the city, you know, they'll go to like illegal things because that's basically what's, what's openly available within the city, you know? It's a saying, like if you if you keep too many rats within the same live trap, they nine times out of ten by the morning time, one of them be eaten by another one. So, in in other words, less resources, less thoughtfulness. No jobs, no money for schools, no money for programs, no money for police. You know how many. Uh... Kids have been shot since bankruptcy? How, How many, many kids in the last six years? How many? Over 500? That's crazy. You know, you know what percentage you even get arrested? How many? Less than 20? See? What really brought us here is the loss of the police force, the loss of police departments, the loss of people caring about law enforcement. That's what really brought us here. It's the disrespect of law enforcement, how they minimize what we do, how we're set up to be the bad guy, we're the political pawns in all of this. Law enforcement officers and every cop go out there every single day and bust his ass to do something good. But we got a handful of officers trying to do the job where you need at least double the amount of officers out there. When I came on the job, it was 5,000 cops. You could not drive through a neighborhood without passing another scout cop. It was 5,000 of us. You had enough resources to really go out there and fight crime. Now we got about 2,000 cops. And what? think about it. 2,000 cops. 2,000 cops. 2,000 cops. And then not only that, they're making them work double shifts. So Detroit goes bankrupt. This is supposed to somehow improve children's lives. Do we get schools? Do we get programs? Do we get after-school jobs? Do we get more police? Do we get crime solved? No. Another homie got smoked, but it's no surprise. Everybody's tripping because the boy was too young to die. So I've become close to Jordan in the two years that I know him. His very best friend killed himself with a gun. And then I got a call around Christmas. His other very best friend looked at the dope man Ron at the liquor store and took it in the chest. And Bushwick can't sleep when everybody around me keeps falling six feet deep. There's an old saying, you're like walking lunch. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you a target, do you feel? <laughs> yeah, I have, man. I have. It's just, it's been like that almost since, yeah, almost since I can remember, you know. But not me being on my own and not being in the house all the time and, you know, having to make money and stuff by myself. Yeah, you know. When do you feel it? Like, when does the radar go off? When does the hair on your neck start to tell you, uh-oh? What, what do you do to avoid it? Basically, whenever you walk outside the house, radar on. I mean, it's like a lifestyle, though, if you think about it. You're born in Detroit, you know, you know, you know about straight bullets, hit people, and just senselessness. I don't know, I look at it as living. You know, there's a whole way of life where it's not like that. Yeah. You know, Charlie, <laughs> I really hope people watch that with, and I learned this from you, about people seeing and hearing things through their individual and respective and sometimes tainted lenses. 
I really hope people will kind of clear off their lens and watch this objectively and try to walk away with a better understanding of what people live like that live differently than perhaps they do. And I think about Jordan when you talked about his radar being on. You remember you bought him a car. I bought him a laptop and I took it over. I think I took him some stuff and we pulled him in front of his house. Very short walkway. But when he comes out, he locks the door. He locks his car. Everything's locked up. I mean, you could just see it. And so when you walk past people on the street that live like that, they respond differently. You know, maybe they're not as friendly because their head is on swivel and they're thinking about surviving and, and not becoming a target. So I'm looking forward to seeing this. Um, and, and I really hope that people will, will look at it objectively. Uh, yeah. You know, I, what's the answer they say? I say, well, love your children and try to love someone else because he's a good young man doing he really is. good things in life now. I mean, he like he's a flower and and smart is just, I mean, just, he really, but you know what, Charlie, he's one of many. He's the one that you had a conversation with, that you forged a connectivity with. There are hundreds or thousands of other young people, young black men, young black women that don't have, I mean, I'm just thinking here in terms that, that don't have that connection, that um, opportunity to be able to show people who they really are, mm -hmm. who don't get mm -hmm. that nurturing and don't get that watering. And so what happens to a flower that's not water? It Withers. wilts and it, it dies. Sure does. So, you know, in the end, uh, you know, I want to thank uh, Dr. Richard Wolf for being a, what, what's the answer? What can you do? You try to love somebody. Happy Labor Day. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming in, Karen. Thank you, Charlie.